Hello and welcome to another Imagining Freedom podcast, which is focused on our rights and freedoms. As I've said in previous podcasts, I'm not happy with the lockdown, especially now that it's been extended. The curve has been flattened. Businesses need to start getting back to work. So I'm taking legal action against it. Well, not single-handedly. I've actually joined the crowdfunding action taken by the businessman, Simon Dolan, who has mounted a legal challenge to the UK government's lockdown. The crowdfunding page is at crowdjustice.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. It says, We believe that the government has acted illegally and disproportionately over the COVID-19 lockdown, and we are taking action. By forcing people to stay at home, and forcing businesses to close, they are, we believe, in controversion of basic human rights offered under English law, that of the right to enjoy your property peacefully. The government has asked for more time to respond to the case. The crowdfunding action has so far raised more than £100,000 for a stretch target of £150,000 and it has 15 days to go. It may only apply to England, and maybe that's why some of the lockdown restrictions have been lifted in England. Scotland's government is being more cautious, despite the fact that the number of COVID-19 cases and deaths in Scotland is much lower than in England. Whether you agree with Simon Dolan's legal campaign or not, I think crowdfunding can be one of the solutions to the kind of overprotective, excessive state control that we are seeing at the moment, where democracy has been replaced by a tyrannical type of consensus. When the interview with David Icke on London Real TV was deleted from YouTube, Vimeo and other broadcasting media a few weeks ago, Brian Rose, the owner of London Real, launched a crowdfunding campaign to finance the creation of a censorship-free live streaming platform. That campaign reached the target of $100,000 within less than 24 hours. It was able to do this because there were thousands of people who were so angry at being denied the right to watch the content that they wanted to watch that they were willing to pay for the creation of a platform where anti-establishment views could be expressed. I want to talk a little bit about agorism, and I'm not going down a separate track here. Agorism is a social philosophy that was outlined by Samuel Edward Konkin III in the 1970s and described in his New Libertarian Manifesto. Konkin's libertarianism was detached from conventional politics and statism, and he defined agorists as counter-economists with libertarian consciousness. The agora takes its name from the Greek word agora, meaning open marketplace. Konkin said, The function of the pseudoscience of establishment economics is to mystify and confuse the ruled class as to where their wealth is going and how it is taken. Konkin described counter-establishment economics, or counter-economics, as how people keep their wealth and property from the state. I came across Konkin's ideas around 2012, after I'd been made redundant from my job and I'd started a business. It was a healthy juice and smoothie cafe. There was a growing demand for juices and smoothies and healthy soups at the time, so I had a lot of regular customers. There was also a demand for juice cleansers where people would order five or six juices and smoothies a day for three to five days and they would pay up to £200 for this. But money was actually tight. I'd opened the shop just after the recession and people were being really careful about their spending. 
At the same time, the overheads for the business were really costly. When I had spare time, which was very rare, I would go on to LinkedIn. I was in a group called Occupy Everywhere, and we would discuss politics and the economy. That's where I learned about different types of peaceful anarchism, like voluntarism and agorism. And that was when my perspectives on politics started to change. I still had a very left-wing outlook. And I thought we just needed to get the right politicians in power in order to change things for the better. There were a lot of people out of work at the time. And yet people like me, who were struggling to keep businesses afloat, needed work done but didn't have enough money to pay to get that work done because people weren't buying enough, not because they didn't want to buy but because they didn't have enough money. A couple of times people came in and gave me goods, greens that they'd grown in the garden or fish that they'd fished, in return for a smoothie or some, some soup. And that's when I started thinking about alternative currencies, local currencies that would allow people to exchange goods and services locally. I learned about Bernard Leiter, an academic who specialised in complementary currencies. During an online discussion about this, someone told me about Bitcoin. I was massively excited about Bitcoin, and that's when my love for cryptocurrencies began. Unfortunately, I didn't invest in Bitcoin. I couldn't see anything you could buy with it apart from socks. I think the huge inflation in the value of Bitcoin has attracted a lot of speculation, and that has detracted from the enormous opportunities that cryptocurrencies provide for agorism and counter-economics. It's not just about tax evasion, although some cryptocurrencies can offer the anonymity to avoid tax and to participate in the black economy. But for people who are trading openly and paying tax, cryptocurrencies can offer ways, for example, to sidestep a crashing economy. I'm going to talk more about cryptocurrencies in a future episode. Samuel Konkin III died in 2004. And in the 1970s, when he was writing about agorism, there was no crowdfunding as we know it today and no cryptocurrencies. Modern technology offers us new tools that allow concepts like agorism and decentralised models that don't rely on an authority to run them to be put into practice. The cryptocurrency blockchain Ethereum developed blockchain-based smart contracts which mean that deals can be done without legal expense or third parties because everything is indelibly recorded on the blockchain. These types of systems tend to flourish when government is exerting excessive control. They offer ways of sidestepping unfair impositions, like bail-ins, where tax is taken from money in bank accounts, as happened in Cyprus in 2013, or monopolistic practices. As legal aid budgets have been cut, legal crowdfunding outfits are becoming more popular, like Crowdjustice, the one that Simon Dolan's using to support his legal challenge to the UK government. I think these are all types of counter-economics. It's not just about people keeping their wealth and property out of the hands of the state, but they are acting outside of the state. And I think this is like a sign of maturity, Instead of constantly expecting the state and its politicians to lead us, to get us out of difficult situations like a parent, we are starting to do things for ourselves. The parent has become too strict and controlling, even to the point of not letting us watch or read things that it thinks are not good for us, or not letting us have our own ideas and telling us what we should or shouldn't eat or put in our bodies. 
It's time for us to start making our own way in life, away from the controlling parent. New alternative platforms are being built online, like Hive.blog, 3Speak and DTube, financed not by wealthy venture capitalists who want a controlling stake, but funded by their users via cryptocurrencies. I'll put the links to those in the show notes. Samuel Konkin thought that agorism would develop in geographically located groups or communities, but I think we're seeing the appearance of virtual agoras, online decentralised networks and communities with no specific geographical location. One of the biggest spurs to the growth of these alternative networks is censorship, as people whose videos have been blocked on YouTube look for other platforms. But there's also a lot of resistance. People don't like it when the institutions that they've grown up with are found to have flaws. If someone's done well at school and enjoyed their school days, for example, they don't want to think of their education as indoctrination. People are so wedded to their political affiliations, often the ones that they were brought up with, that, for example, if I express an opinion that is not considered progressive, people think I'm on the slippery slope to fascism. And I'm not talking here about saying something that's racially offensive or homophobic. It could be just saying that I once read a book written by Ayn Rand or that I enjoyed reading Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. So many people are effectively censoring themselves for the goal of ideology. They're putting limits on their education and their intellectual development. I actually read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand because it was anathema to the left and I wanted to find out why. And I wanted to see for myself what it was like without preconceptions. I found it to be a deeply flawed book, mainly because the characters were like cardboard. They were just there to, to represent political ideals, and I couldn't really care less whether they lived or died. But still, I enjoyed reading the book, and there were some ideas in it that I really liked and some very darkly humorous moments of satire. I think I used to fall into that confirmation bias syndrome quite a lot. It happens when you're looking for an ideology or a leader to sort out the world for you. In one respect, it's an evasion of personal responsibility. You're really asking your ideology to do your thinking for you. And it can be a very good way to manipulate people. If an admired left-wing politician orders drone strikes that kill women and children, their adoring followers will just look the other way. And that is how Hitler got into power. For that reason, I try to avoid isms. I will never say that I'm an agorist or a voluntarist. I'll just say that I admire many aspects of those political philosophies. I don't know if Samuel Konkin would have approved, as he argued for consistency, but I personally think it's really important to keep questioning things, as no system or person is perfect. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. And if you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.